Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. I am really thrilled today to be interviewing one of my personal idols. Uh, she is really one of the best known musical improvisers in the world, if not the most recognized. And one thing everybody says when I mention her name is she's such a nice person. And that's Laura Hall. Laura, thank you for coming today. Thanks for having me, Marco. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm delighted you're here and I'm delighted I've been able to be your student for a month or so. I'm learning so much and I, I love your backing tracks and we've been using the karaoke uh, backing tracks with my classes with kids with autism and people with Parkinson's and what a gift that is. It's tremendous. Oh, that's so great. I love, you know, I, I get emails from people all the time, like they're using the tracks in really creative ways, which is exactly what I hoped for when I made them. You know what I mean? So it's nice to nice to hear that that they're being used like that absolutely so let's just go back in time and talk about when you were growing up uh, outside of chicago and how you became attracted to the piano and uh you know talk a little bit about your background in music way before you were on a tv show and movies and shows <laughs> broadway shows um i was i I begged my parents for piano and for piano lessons. My grandpa played, but he played entirely by ear. Um, and I begged and pleaded for lessons and that I finally got them. And, but I know part of the reason I stuck with it was because it was one of the few things that I was better at than my older sisters. I was the youngest of three. And so it was definitely partly about like, yay, something I'm better than them. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but we, but they, we all played, I also, besides piano, I played French horn and my sisters played clarinet and flute as well. And uh, I used to write indecipherably difficult pieces that I would try and get them to play and then be angry that they didn't want to do them with me. So that would be my music beginning. I ended up getting a degree in music um, in Chicago. I went to Mundelein College, which was, uh, is now part of Loyola in Chicago. At the time, it was the women's division and got a degree in music. And But while I was still getting my degree, I got hired to work at Second City, first as a coat check girl, then a waitress, <laughs> and then the National Touring Company, and then in the ETC. Wow. Now, you did you study music, uh, like sheet reading music? You didn't play by ear like grandpa, did you? I did both. I did both. So I started out with regular lessons like everybody does. You know, I was playing Bach and Mozart and all that stuff. And then I there was this this turning point where I went to my teacher and I said, you know, I'm listening to Carol King and Joni Mitchell and I was in, got into jazz. I was a big Billie Holiday fan. And I'm like, I want to play something like that. And her response was, well, that's not real music. <laughs> so I I had to sort of go out on my own and figure out how to play by ear and then also how to play that kind of music. And also both Joni Mitchell and Carol King really inspired me about writing my own music. So um, I, I wanted to not only learn how to play their stuff, but I wanted to learn how to write my own. Beautiful. And um, I had a quote that I pulled out and the quote is from a collection from an author that I think inspired you to write a little bit. The quote is, I'm glad that I paid so little attention to good advice. Had I abided by it, I might have been saved for some of my most valuable mistakes. Edna St. Vincent Millay. Yes, she is a favorite poet of mine. 
And actually, I set a couple of her poems to music and actually wrote the publisher. This was pretty early on, like when I was in college. Wow. And they, and they said, no, you can't have the rights to them. Oh. So, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I set a couple of them as like uh, small ensemble choral pieces. Because, yeah. So when I was in college, because my last year of college, I'd already gotten hired into the touring company at Second City. Oh. And I, um, but I still had one year to go and I'd been on like the five and a half year plan. I was really scattered and, but I was like, finally found my focus, you know, and I was into my last year and ready to go. And right before the beginning of my senior year, I had been playing with the touring company as like a sub. So I would go out maybe once or twice a month and it would be local gigs. We'd maybe drive up to Wisconsin or something. Um, and then right before school started, we were getting ready for the new sort of touring season. And again, I was supposed to be the sub. We get there, we're having the meeting, the sort of everybody getting to know each other sort of meeting. And the main piano player has a huge fight with the boss, storms out, and she turns to me and says, so you want to go on the road? And I'm like, I, but school, and I can't. It was perfect for me to only do the occasional gig, but to really go out. So I talked my teachers into letting me do independent studies for my whole senior year. And I would go to class when I was in town. And then besides that, I was doing all sorts of stuff on my own. And I would literally, after gigs, go back to the hotel room and study. I can't oh believe I was so focused. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, did you know much about improv before you got the job as the coat check girl? No, I mean, growing up in Chicago, I'd been to Second City. You know what I mean? Like, you can't grow up in Chicago and not be aware of, of improv. But it wasn't like, I, I certainly wasn't like, I want to be an improv musician. I thought improv was interesting. Um, and I do remember when I went, Fred Cass was the, was the musical director there when I was a kid. He was quite beloved, wasn't he? Yes, and he was amazing. So he was there, you know, pretty much every show I saw when I was a kid. And we went, you know, you know how things are when you live locally, you don't do it as often. We went maybe once every few years. It wasn't like we went all the time, but it was always Fred at the piano. And I was always amazed by him, but I never really was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I wanted to be a songwriter and play in bands and, you know, do a lot of different things. And literally, when I got hired at Second City as a coach at girl, I was just like, oh, this is a great college gig because I can study <laughs> during my work shifts, right? Because the people drop off their coats, then you have like an hour and a half while the show's going on, and then they pick up their coats. So it was like the perfect college gig. I never really foresaw all the steps that it was going to take and or foresaw how much I was just going to completely fall in love with it you know so when you became a waitress I guess you were seeing more of the shows than... yes exactly and I was a I was a bad waitress because I would be so engaged or distracted by what Fred was doing on the piano and stuff I'd be like oh my gosh that's what, oh wait I you know here's your beer you know like I was I was too uh I was too distracted by the music, but that is really when I fell in love with it, was when I was hearing Fred on a regular basis and really starting to hear what he was doing, you know? And 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 I also was, because by that point I was in college, I'd studied theory, I'd studied composition, you know what I mean? So I had like a a more analytical ear or whatever for it, you know what I mean? Now did, did you ever get to learn from Fred outside of hearing him? Um, very little, very little. There would be the occasional where he would show me something and typically I would be so in awe, I couldn't focus, you know, cause I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, Fred is showing me something. Um, so probably in total, I got, you know, I'd get, five or 10 minutes here or there, or sometimes I'd feel brave enough to ask him a question. He was such a doll. It wasn't like he was a, a mean person. I was just intimidated by him because of his talent and everything, you know? Oh, I can um, imagine. 
but yeah, I, it'd be five or 10 minutes here or there. Sometimes he'd come in, you know, because the touring company, we would be doing reviews of sketches of like, a, we did like a greatest hits kind of show of Second City sketches. And then we'd also get to improvise some in it, but probably 75% was existing sketches that we were taking on the road. So he would come in sometimes and teach us, you know, a song or something for, for those purposes. And yeah, and I would just sit next to him and bask in the glow. <laughs> that's that's a wonderful story. Now, did you actually take a pay cut when you went from waitressing to being a musical director? I did indeed. I made, you know, the waitresses ruled Second City and they made the best money because we got really good tips because you had quick turnover for the drinks and everything. You know, on a Saturday night, you'd have two complete audiences and then people would come for the improv set after that. So you you really turned over the uh, your customers quickly. So I made really good money as a waitress on with tips. Plus you don't have to pay taxes on it. And then, but then, as a the touring company made pretty crappy pay. <laughs> but I was thrilled anyway. You know what I mean? Like it it didn't. I was so excited to be out performing and hanging out with my, my friends and stuff, you know. And what a cast of friends you've met over the years, too. So I wanted to ask you if uh, when you started, how old were you when you actually started? And did you take did you take any of the workshops there at all? Um, when I started waitressing, I wasn't 21 yet, so it wasn't legal. Um, and when I went on the road, I, I think when I went on the road, it was right before my, that would have been my 22nd birth, no, my 23rd birthday was when I started going on the road. So I was 22. Um, and then what was the other question? I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, I don't want necessarily to give your age, but what year was that, Laura? That would have been in the early 80s, 82 three, two or three, something like that. Okay. I guess I could do the math, but yeah, around 83, maybe 84. And so who were some of the kind of celebrity people that we got to know later on that were in the first years there? Well, you know, the touring company was a much less stable cast. Uh, actually, everything turned, the actors turned over a lot at Second City. The musicians didn't. Um, so, and then I also played for people's, uh, later on, I played for, um, the, the, uh, conservatory students. I would play their level five classes. So I met a lot of people that way too. Um, but yeah, you know, the Jane Morris and Jeff Machowski, Jane was my first director in ETC. Wow. Um, wow. She's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd worked with other directors in the train company, but she was the first director I'd worked with putting up an original, you know, putting up our own show. Yeah. And she's fantastic. Um, I don't know who else is, who else is famous? Rick was in a cast with Dan Castellaneta, um, oh, wow. who's Homer Sim from the yeah. Simpsons and Richard Kind. Rick does a great Richard Kind, um, who was in Mad About You and has had actually quite an acting career as well. And I played for the level five classes for Stephen Colbert and um, Steve Carell. I worked with Chris Farley very briefly. Um, he got promoted very quickly. You know what I mean? He went through from the touring company to the main stage very quickly. So, um, but yeah, I sort of, I, 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 there were people who kind of came through, but the musicians stay a lot longer. I mean, Fred was there for 40 years or something. And then Ruby was the second one. And she probably by the end was there for 40 years too. So oh yeah, the musicians last lasted a lot longer than the actors did. <laughs> so, so how long did you actually stay there? Um, maybe six, five or six years. And, yeah. And so then where did your musical career take you? Um, well, at the same time I was doing Second City, I was also like playing in bands and songwriting and doing stuff like that and finishing up college. So I had, and I was teaching piano. I uh, taught at the Old Town School of Music in Chicago. Oh, um, wow. 
and made a lot of friends there too that I'm, you know, I'm still friends with today. Um, so I was doing all of sort of all of it, you know, Second City was one piece of it. And, um, and then Rick got a, um, got a series here in LA and we decided to move to LA and try it for a year. We figured we could live off the money from the series, you know, and then while we were trying to find other work. So we were going to try it for a year, maybe two. And that was, you know, 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess guess it worked out. (laughs) I was going to say, as Randy Newman said, I like LA or I love LA. But when I moved to LA, I was like, I'm going to quit doing improv because it's such a um, niche within a niche being a musical director for improv. Do you know what I mean? Like it's such a, very specialized. Yeah, yeah, very specialized. And to make a living doing it is is really difficult. So I wanted to do all the other things that I'd always wanted to do, which was, you know, be in bands, be a songwriter, uh, do see if I could get into any film or television as a, you know, as a composer, that kind of stuff. So I took some film scoring classes and did, uh, you know, again, I was doing all sorts of stuff, everything but improv. And then I got a call from my friend, Ron West, who uh, I worked with at Second City in Chicago. And he he hooked me up for the opportunity to audition for Who's Line. And I was like, I'm doing improv again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I'll do improv again. So I, I kind of, I actually had to like call a few friends and say, can I sit in a few times? Cause I'm feeling a little rusty. Cause I hadn't done any for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although all those other ways of playing are so good for your improv. I I feel like it all feeds each other, you know, like, like literally even doing piano bar, which I did a lot of when we first moved here, um, even doing piano bar, I feel like has made me a better improv musician. Um, and the film scoring classes certainly made me think about how scenes work, you know? So it all, it all feeds it all feeds each other. Well, your ability to do all these different genres that just change the scene and transitions. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the technical aspects in a moment. But when you got on Whose Line, um, did did was Drew at the audition? Drew Carey or anybody else? Uh, um, Drew wasn't. I actually auditioned with Brad Sherwood, and um, oh my gosh, who was the other? Who was the other? Was it Jeff Davis? Isn't that weird that I can't remember? But we all three got hired. Oh, no, it was Brad and Wayne. Duh. It's Brad Sherwood <laughs> and Wayne Brady. And we all three got hired out of that audition. Um, but it was in the hotel room of the producer. And I was like, wow, this is either really <laughs> weird. I'm in a hotel room with three guys I don't know. Or <laughs> I'm going to get like the best gig of my life out of it, which the second was true (laughs) well it was a spectacular show and is it still on i'm trying to think is it yeah it is so we're in our 16th season now we did nine on abc and now we're doing uh they're starting our seventh on the cw wow yeah wow isn't that wild you know it's like and the fact that in between ABC and the CW, we had, I think, five or six years, you know, like it finished on ABC and we were like, oh, it's done. And then like five or six years later, they brought it back on the CW with Aisha as the host. Yeah, she's really cool. I like her a lot. Yes, yeah, so I adore Aisha. But I have to say, Wayne is certainly, I got to say, favorite. I mean, he's just such, I think... You know, the word genius is always thrown about, but I think Wayne is probably a genius musician, actor, improviser. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in terms of music improv, like I've worked with so many people and he's like, he's like a savant or something. You know what I mean? Like he is, the way his brain works for improv and stuff is just really remarkable. I've never, you know, and the the other guys are really good too, you know, Jeff Davis and Chip Eston, you know, and Brad Sherwood, they're, they're really fantastic, top level, but Wayne, there's something, <laughs> there's something different, <laughs> yeah. 
it's really it it is really remarkable yeah he got his start in florida with a company called sack in orlando that i've right. workshops with so uh seven degrees i guess so while you're doing whose line you were shooting for several days and then you'd have time off to work on your other projects yes although early on i was having babies so um ah. so basically when i wasn't doing whose line i was afforded the incredible luxury of getting to be home with my kids um for long stretches at a time with when they were really young and uh, it was such a blessing to be able to have that time but still have a career you know what i mean like my career because whose line it tapes so fast you know it's not like a sitcom where you work all week and get one episode you work one day and get two or three or even four episodes. So it goes quick. So we would tape, and because the um, the producers were coming over from England, they wanted it to be in a fairly compressed amount of time. You know, they're not gonna spread it out all over the year. So we would work typically do our whole season within two or three months. So it was really intense. It'll, you know, it's really intense when we're doing it. And then I have in the early days, I basically took the rest of the year off. So I was home with my kids then for eight or nine months, you know, and um, and that was just such a such a joy. Now it's I'm working on other things as and as my kids got older, you know, and I was out on the road like Drew Carey and the Improv All Stars, we toured quite a bit for a while. And, you know, I was doing that and you know, all sorts of stuff. But in the beginning, I just would, I was like, I get to spend eight months with my baby. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? And you have two daughters, I think. Yes. Yeah. And are either of them musical at all or interested or improv? They are, they're both very musical. They're both very funny, but they are not the least bit interested in being performers. They, you know what I mean? Like, it's funny because people sort of assume assume they will be but they're they're really not and you know my oldest daughter is is studying is and studying to be an engineer and she likes doing improv you know she will do it with friends or whatever or do it with us sometimes if we can coax her but she's like i'm a scientist you know <laughs> she's like, oh, wow. yeah yeah, there. It's just funny. Our younger one, for a while, wanted to be like an actress, singer, and um, she had an agent briefly. And then what she realized was that she didn't like auditioning or any of that. What she liked was doing musicals at school with her friends. You know what I mean? Like that's what she liked was that group experience of yeah. that they would work together on it for months, and then they'd all do the show together, and it was such a, you know. But like going to an audition and reading some, you know, stupid copy for someone in an office. She was like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, then don't, you know, absolutely don't. Like, <laughs> unless you love it, don't do it because it's a drag. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure growing up with you and Rick was a wonderful parenting team. I'm just sure of it. Well, thank you. That's yeah. very sweet of you. So I want to get back to, we're going to get to the present pretty soon. Um, but talking a little bit about the technical aspects, I, I guess, you know, even the, the word genius is, again, overused, but it seems to me that you have a genius for your ear, for playing, for changing, for being with the artists you're working with in the moment as you're maybe doing a transition, an entrance or an exit. Okay, the, the ability to just do what you do, do your magic. Do you think some of it's God-given or is it from like thousands of hours of playing? I think it's thousands of hours. I do. And also doing a lot of different things like I had talked about before. You know, playing in church for a nervous singer who, you know, skips the second chorus by accident and, and just following. You know what I mean? Like that is a skill that actually helps you do improv, right? To just go, okay, we're going, okay, we're skipping that chorus or whatever, you know? And um, a lot, and playing in bands and soloing in bands, so getting comfortable improvising. And like, I played in a wedding band 
in Chicago and we did everything, you know, we did from, you know, from standards to what used to be called top 40, you know, to, uh, to different ethnic styles. Cause we would play for, you know, an Italian wedding or a Jewish wedding or whatever. And all of that stuff, I feel like has made me a better improviser. Um, and I've also played for a fair amount of theater, right? And really it's theater. So I feel like I've kind of balled up all my skills <laughs> from, from all my background. And then I've done it a lot. And the more you do it, I think the more you trust your instincts and, um, and just kind of go with your gut and trust that it's going to work out. Um, I think the biggest enemy for musical directors as well as actor improvisers is when we start second guessing ourselves. You know, like when, like, oh, what if, what if some, what if they want to do something different? What if, am I going to get in the way? Am I going to do the wrong thing? And when we're doing that, we're just so disengaged from the moment of the scene, as opposed to going, I'm just going to let myself be in it, you know? And I have always, one of the things I did discover early on, not only with improv, but performing with bands and stuff too, is if I'm ever feeling nervous and self-conscious, is to just completely throw my focus to the other people I'm playing with. Just like, like just engage as much as I can with whatever they're doing. And it gets me out of my own head and my own like, ah, what am I doing? Absolutely. In fact, you know, I'm a therapist. And when I work with people that are experiencing um, a lot of anxiety, or they're certainly thinking about themselves a lot, I ask them to start thinking about a friend, somebody they can call, especially during this time of our lives and the pandemic, mm -hmm. so somebody to call or do a Zoom thing with. Because by connecting with other people, looking at their faces if we can, it changes our whole attitude really, mm -hmm. really quickly. Uh, did, did you ever have stage fright though, really? Oh yeah, especially early on I did. Um, and, and actually I still do. Um, and sometimes if I don't, I'm like, what's the matter with me? Am I not feeling ready for the show? Or, or am I not like sort of in the right place for the show or something? Um, but there's a way that I just feel like I'm able to go, oh, here it is. Here's my stage fright. Okay. Now we go on. <laughs> and, and, you know, fear is the flip side of excitement anyway. So right. that right. energy is going to go somewhere. I think it might be time to take a short break and then okay. resume and get into today. How does that sound to you? Sounds fantastic. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Laura Hall. And we talked a lot about your early career, Second City and Whose Line, but I don't know a lot of people understand the magnitude of your work. You've worked in film and theater and TV, as well as a band, Sweet Potatoes mm -hmm. and your books. So what was it like doing all those different projects? You know, I've always been, you know, I've always felt like I'm a jack of all trades more than a specialist. You know, like there are people like, you know, Leontine Price and all she does is opera and she's brilliant at that one thing. I'm like pretty good at a lot of things <laughs> is, is what I feel like. But again, that's also kind of a plus for improv too, right? To have a sort of, to have sort of wide interests. But um, yeah, it's always for me, I find myself having lots of different projects going on, writing for different things. Um, and, and I love, I find it really stimulating. I find it interesting to be, you know, like working on a film and playing in a band and doing live improv. Or, you know what I mean? Like all of those things. I just find it really interesting. Because I do play piano myself. Uh, how, when you're writing music, are you scoring it by hand or do you use a program that converts it into um, the score for you? Um, I hardly ever write things into sheet music, which is my downfall or the problem. Um, I mean, if I'm doing something like, 
if I score a film and I have to write out, you know, here's the cello part, here's the, you know, then obviously I will. But like when I'm writing songs for myself, I tend to just write a chart. And most players, most session players, if you bring someone in, like, oh, I've written this tune now, will you come in and put, you know, fiddle over it? They don't want it written out either. They just want the chord chart. So then every once in a while, people will be like, oh, do you have that written out? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I've got a recording. I've got a chart. I've got it in my head. So uh, yeah, I hardly ever write stuff out unless unless I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Now, the pandemic has, of course, been a horrible thing for so many people that we're in now. One of the upsides of the pandemic, if there could be one, is that for me, I've been able to meet wonderful teachers like yourself. And uh, our mutual friend, Jay Suko, really encouraged me. I was a little hesitant. And we've been able to work on Zoom one-to-one. -one, and sometimes we've had another singer in the room. But tell me a little bit about your challenges with Zoom and how you're teaching today. Yeah, it is a very different experience teaching. And I still, you know, I feel like people are really trying to crack the code still of dealing with the sync issues, and then also the the way that Zoom wants to drop people out and stuff. And I haven't, I'm not 100% there yet, but I don't know if anyone is. I feel like everyone's like, well, it's okay. It's pretty good in terms of the tech. But the huge plus is like you're saying, like we, this probably wouldn't have happened that I would have met someone who lives 2000 miles away from me and been in this teaching situation. And I do think that even after the pandemic, this sort of collaborative, this, you know, big collaborative uh, way of thinking, I, I have a feeling will stick with us more. You know, I have a lot of friends who are songwriters who are like, they, they, they're collaborating with songwriters all around the world, you know, because everybody's sort of looking for, that creative juju we're missing it in our lives and I do still as much as I like teaching online and um and performing online is okay too teaching is better to me but that's just me but um and I but I still like it but I so miss I so miss that live community being on stage with people where you're you have you know, where you're breathing the same air, you know, which is why we can't do it. But, <laughs> you know, you're you're in the same space, you're feeling each other physically, you're, there's just a way that you connect being in the same room. And I miss that so much, because that's the part I think I really, in a way, is my very favorite thing about improv. Uh, the different musical improv games that are so much fun, like to be all standing together singing the Irish drinking song or tagging people out in hot spot and things like that. But I'm noticing actually more and more people are teaching some form of musical improv. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's very interesting, but we're still limited. So I'm going to yeah. get on now to something very exciting that you shared a piece of with me. And that is your upcoming release of um, audio training, uh, a video, a video set you're coming out with. It's actually going to be a video series. Yeah. Sure. So it's to teach people how to do the musical director side of this. There's just so little instruction out there for this. Like I wrote, I wrote a book about it. And literally, I think there are maybe four or five books in the whole world on the subject. You know what I mean? And then after the book, people were like, oh, I wish you could have gone more into depth or I would love to, you know, had audio examples. So that was partly what inspired teaching in this way. And, um, and the truth is, you know, people, if you've got an improv group in Kansas City or, or even, you know, or Kansas City isn't that small a town, but even a smaller town, Decatur, Illinois, and you've got an improv group and you've got a musician who wants to do this, but they don't know how to get started. So that's sort of what it's geared towards is people who want to give this a try, but they don't have a way to learn it in the way that I was able to just absorb it from being around Fred. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun doing it. It's really interesting because 
I thought maybe it would end up being like two hours of instruction. And I'm as I'm getting into it and going deeper and deeper into it, I'm like, wow, I <laughs> I got a lot to say on this subject. <laughs> so it's getting it's getting bigger than I thought it would be originally. Well, I know I was privy to a few uh, cl classes and different sections, and I am so excited about it, even though I doubt myself a lot as uh, being able to play improvisationally. Although I did study for two years at a place called the Guitar Study Center that Paul Simon's brother ran in New York to learn to play improvisationally. I'm excited because a little bit I saw, I think, yeah, maybe I can do this. So it's for all kinds of people. Is it, I mean, do you have to really already have to know how to improvise to be able to use the series? No, you don't. But you do have to be willing to sort of go out on the limb and try it. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm not going to be like, oh, here, just play this. What I want is for people to be able to, um, and I, I do tons of demonstrations and examples and stuff. But what I really want is for people to be able to create their own. Um, so you have to be willing to go out on the limb and try it. But you don't have to already know how to improvise. You do have to be willing to play without sheet music, though. So for people who are really tied to sheet music, this is your chance to like break away from it and and start playing without it. But I did have one person go, well, can't you just write everything out in sheet music? And I'm like, that defeats the purpose. It's improv. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you have to know some basic music. I mean, you have no chord progression and how to get it in scale, have, I would assume. You do have to have a little, a basic chord theory and you have to know how to, play your instrument at, at least at a somewhat of a level. You don't have to be virtuoso by any means, though. You know, you don't have to be like some amazing player to do it. And in fact, one of the things I talk about a lot is that playing more simply actually works better a lot of times for improv. Um, sometimes people who are really fancy players, you know, play a lot of notes, um, it's too much for improv and their their improv groups will be like ah it's you know you're overwhelming us so you don't have to be a virtuoso but you do have to have a little bit of chord theory and then i do talk about some chord theory in the series but again like you, you know you have to be willing to do the work to learn that um but but i i think it really the goal is to really empower people feel comfortable to be able to trust their own instincts, to have, to, to play the show, a show the way that they want to play it. That's, that's really them. You know, it's like when you take improv classes, your teacher isn't saying here, say this, you know what I mean? Your teacher is helping you discover your own, you know, your own gifts sort of, they're not telling you what to say. And it's the same thing with this. So it's so exciting. It, it really totally is. And I think there's a parallel about keeping the notes simple. In improv, we try to keep our speech simple. That mm -hmm. is too many words is often too much. Sometimes you just need one word, like the game, one word story, or just something very small. Otherwise, it becomes too filled with stuff. Mm -hmm. so. And it becomes harder to like connect with each other. You know, if the primary goal is that connection between actors, between musicians and actors, if I'm too busy, if I'm over here playing Rachmaninoff, I can't focus on anything else because what I'm doing is taking up so much of my mental space, but also so much of the sonic space, so much, you know what I mean? Whereas if I'm playing something more simple and I'm able to really be focused on what the, the actors and singers are doing, then we can be that unit because it is improv is all about the team sport nature of it. It's all about the, the collective nature of it and that interactive nature, not about any one person being a virtuoso. That's that's exactly right. So people who want to tell jokes or be funny or be the next big shot on SNL um, really aren't getting the philosophy of improv, which mm -hmm. is so important, I think. So, you know, starting with, with uh, go ahead. 
Oh, which is also why sometimes it's hard for stand-ups. Like stand-ups think, oh, I could do improv because I'm funny or whatever. But stand-up is such an individual. Stand-up is 100% individual. And in a way, it's almost opposite then. Of uh, It's not that it's impossible for people to do. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it can be a challenge for them. In, um, there was a story about Joan Rivers and uh, apparently she was in some improv and, um, but she turned it into a joke and stayed out of the now and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering now, as I see your keyboard, uh, that if perhaps you might want to play, I, I, re- I finally realized why on, did I mention the improv karaoke CDs and how valuable they are? And- uh- <laughs> <laughs> and how much I've used them over the years in my classes, even with kids on the autism spectrum. Um, they love dancing to that grunge music and they'll make up songs. You know, we don't go to rhyming. We try to keep it really, really simple, but they'll make up little songs or beats to the various um, tracks that you have on volumes one and two. And uh I realized uh, that there was a reason why the uh, hoedown and Irish drinking sound song didn't sound exactly as it does on Whose Line. Right, because those those ones are the property of the show. Those specific songs are the property of the show. So I can't play those, you know, like I couldn't play them for you now or I can play them on those improv karaoke CDs. But you can do something that's similar you know what I mean? You could do, of course, do like a country style song. Um, yeah. And I have to say, I am finding in now in during the pandemic in the world of Zoom, I'm getting so many emails from people saying, oh, the tracks are so helpful because we can we can do improv on Zoom or we can do our classes. And um, and I'm just thrilled to pieces like that people are are using them in so many different ways. Isn't that fantastic? So yeah. play a little bit for us. And then if if you were willing and I got enough hmm, bravery, maybe do a little song together. We certainly could. What should we sing about? <laughs> oh, what should we sing about? What Let's should we see. sing about? Um, well, we could talk about not knowing our age. Um, <laughs> 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 or um, what else? I had another forgetting passwords. I'm a, eternally making up new passwords for my different sites I have to go on. Um, but we could also sing about uh, the holidays. So, oh, let's let's sing about uh, the let's sing about Christmas in the pandemic, the holidays in the pandemic. Okay, great. That sounds wonderful. Oh wait, I it would help if I turned my keyboard on. Just one sec. Okay. <laughs> Can you hear okay? Is that good? Great. Got into the mood, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, do you want to go first? No. sing first do you want to sing first don't I was you? getting the nerve to do it Laura okay, okay then do it. I okay. do it okay we'll start over here okay. we go Christmas in the pandemic
go to my brother's house. Oh no way. And the I share like a tiny mouse. delightful oh thank you and and i think as a teacher you make me and i'm sure all your students feel validated and valuable and that's the sign of a good teacher i think well thank you margo and and you know i really do feel like um i guess having been a student myself you know i mean i've been a piano student i learned how to play guitar after i was an adult which was a really interesting experience because you know, you've played an instrument your whole life and now you're trying something new that you're not good at, right? And and I feel the same with improv. Like when I first started doing improv, like I don't know what I'm doing, you know what I mean? And and I feel like there's real value in that, in trying things you don't know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. But it also, I have so much respect for the amount of like courage it takes to do it, to go, I'm going to try this thing that is, is new to me. And that I, I, I don't know. I just, I have so much respect for my students because they're going out on a limb. They're willing to try it and they're willing to fall on their ass sometimes. You know what I mean? Like. That's it. That was a good example of it just now. <laughs> I think I was off tune. I didn't have that wonderful pitch. I pride myself on. <laughs> Um, that is so true, uh, you know, and of course we know about the brain, that the brain continues to grow. It has neuroplasticity. And when you're learning something new, that helps to keep these brain cells that I'm losing at my age, whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, and music is so good for the brain, just music mm -hmm. at all. But the idea of putting the words and the music together just gets all kinds of neurons flashing in our head, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, and also, again, connecting. You know what I mean? For me, it is so much about connecting. And it is interesting when I teach because, you know, during non-pandemic times, um, my husband Rick and I teach, we travel a lot and teach all over the world, really, you know, and we'll go and do intensives at different theaters, um, primarily the singing side, but every once in a while, the musical director side as well. But um, that so many people are doing it because they love the community right and that makes me really happy you know and a lot of times it's people they're they're not thinking yeah i'm going to be the next person on snl sometimes you do sometimes there'll be young people who are really ambitious and really talented and i'm like maybe we'll see you there you know but a lot of people are doing it because it's a way to connect, it's a way to build community, it's a way to challenge themselves, like you're saying, and and keep themselves stimulated mentally. There's so many pluses. Um, and sometimes people are almost apologetic, like, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna be a professional actor. I'm, you know, I'm an engineer and I do this for fun. And I'm like, fantastic, good for you. You know, like there's, there's we, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's not enough room for the people who want to be professionals at it anyway. So, <laughs> you know, so, so do it for fun and do it because it makes you happy and rocks your world, you know? And say yes. And, you know, when I first started improv, the idea of, uh, there's no mistakes. I can have failures mm -hmm. or what we perceive as failures and it's okay. And to accept other people as they are, not try to fit them into where I think the scene or whatever should mm -hmm. go. But mm -hmm. if you find the improv 
principles kind of play a big part in your life today too? I feel like they do. And I can be, I will be the first to admit, and my husband I'm sure will agree that I can be a bit of a control freak and that there are some elements that I want things really orderly and um, definitely the world, but it's funny because then there's other elements where I'm really willing to be loose and in the moment. But when I find myself getting overly controlling about things, particularly things that I I really can't control, right? There's tons, I mean, there's tons of things in the world we can't control, right? Um, so when I find myself feeling overly controlling, uh, I, I, the principles of improv of saying, just be in it, say yes, be in it, uh, and let other people help you and you help other people. Yeah. You're not in it alone, you know? And uh, the, that can really help me because, boy, especially during the pandemic, it's really feel easy to feel like we're in it alone. Well, and again, I keep saying that improvisers are so resilient. So many classes, workshops, and groups have started up and continue to grow during this time. And I think we are some of the most resilient people because we keep playing no matter what. We're going to find right. a way to play and to talk to each yeah. other. So whether, you know, internationally, I'm meeting people from India and England and all, all over the world. And it's just such a joy. And you are truly a joy and a Christmas gift. Um, wow. I, I am so happy to know you. I consider you a friend, Laura, and you were so and nice to do this today. Thank you. And I consider you a friend too, Margo. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to do it. It's been a treat. And in the uh, publication and social media, there'll be links to all of the wonderful things we talked about today. And Excellent. Maybe more. So. Excellent. And there's, um, you can always go to my website at laurahall.com, which is just easy to remember. And it's got, I've got all sorts of stuff up there too. Yeah, so if you don't have her book or the backing tracks, get them now. Get, get a couple of sets to give to other people for Christmas. Buy them up. And actually, I am having a Christmas sale. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> and next week, I'll be introducing and talking with your beloved husband, Rick, who yes. uh, has been a big factor in your life, I think. Yeah. So. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Take care. And until I see you again, Laura, thank you so much. I just love you. And I love the gift you're bringing everybody. Thank you, Marco. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.